Time to get that multitask and 100 billion neuron connecting priority arranging segment of your wonderfully constructed brain to contemplate this. Ever wonder how many handshakes take place in a day? How many hugs happen? How many one-to-one face-to-face conversations go on? What about glances, kisses, laughs, and prayers? Ways we connect. And you, right there, right now. How are you connected to the person next to you, the people around you, your friends, your enemies, the strange dude at the mall? How about the movies you watch, the books you read, the messages all around you? And how do you connect differently than people connected in the past? So many thoughts, ideas, blogs, texts, posts, and tweets these days. Everybody wants to connect to someone or something. And the World Wide Web of Intersection and Connection has changed everything. Get this. One out of eight couples married in the U.S. in 2008 met through social media. Unfortunately, half will be divorced in five years, connected and disconnected. There are over 500 million active Facebook users who spend over 700 billion minutes per month clicking, posting, uploading, and downloading. An average user is connected to 80 community pages, groups, and events, and each person creates 90 pieces of content each month. Folks got a lot to share, lots to say. So much that the average user spends 55 minutes per day, 6.5 hours per week, or about 1.3 full days per month on Facebook. And that's just people sitting around home because more than 200 million are on Facebook through mobile phones nowadays because long lost are the days of landline phones, busy tones, and yeah, Davy Jones. And speaking of cell phones, in 2004, 674 million were sold, which is 105 million less than the 779 million sold in 2005, which is nothing compared to the almost 4 billion sold in the last three years. Some people in the world who don't have toilets or houses have cell phones. People really want to connect. But wait, there's more. One trillion tech messages were sent in 2008, 1.5 trillion in 2009, and then it went up to 6.1 trillion just recently. That's a thousand texts per person for every person on the planet. That's a lot of connecting. Yet this hasn't even scratched the surface. There's over 50 million tweets per day, over 60 million LinkedIn people, and 43 million people still visit MySpace per month. Then there's however many millions on Ning, Tag, Meetup, Bebo, My Yearbook, and Friendster looking at everything from posts to pics to video. Speaking of which, it would take you over 27 years without sleeping to watch all the videos uploaded on YouTube just this week. Everybody wants to connect. Connect with a friend. Connect with family. Connect to the past. Connect to the future. Connect to God. Connect with God. The one who created connections, voices, images, ears, eyes, smiles, kisses, glances, faces, friends, music, color, stars, electricity, light, laughter, and love, just to name a few. Connect with him? And what does that mean? Well, you connect the dots. Well, good morning, OCC. How are you guys doing today? Hey, we are a people hungry for connection, aren't we? People who are desperate to be together with others. And there's so many things that we know about. It's just hardwired in us that, that we're, we're wired up for connection. And we know that some things are just better together. They're meant to be together. For example, I'm going to give you a few examples here, and I want you, if, if you're in the room, to go ahead and shout out the thing that, I, that goes with what I mentioned. If you're online, you just type it in to the chat space. So let's get started here. Easy one. Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse. There you go, all right? Mickey just needs to be together with Mickey, all right? Mickey Minnie. Sherlock Holmes and, and Watson. All right, some of you are participating. Come on, wake up. Peanut butter and yeah, jelly. No, 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 no. Listen, if you said jelly, you're wrong. It's chocolate. Peanut butter and chocolate. Chocolate is the correct mate for your peanut butter. All right. Burgers and fries. All right. Small groups and everyone. 
everyone should be in a small group. Mark talked about this last week, talking about how we need group and all of us need groups. And we listen, if you didn't get in a group last week, that's okay. We got a group for you. This is my group. We've been together for about a year and a half and we get some great visitors from time to time. We got a place for everybody in our groups. And if you thought you were going to make it through a Sunday service here without seeing Bernie, you're wrong. So we'll just get it out of the way quick. All right, back to it. Han Solo and Chewbacca. All right. And bacon and if you said eggs, you're one millionth right. It's everything. Bacon and everything. Bacon goes great with everything. All right, a couple more for us. Coffee and creamer. Creamer. Both of those things need the other. I've tried both of them on their own. Neither is good on its own. You need both of them together. And one last one for you, Rick Pitino and, I'm just kidding, don't, don't answer that one. <laughs> Them's fighting words for some of you. Some things just go better together. They can exist on their own, but they need that other one to really complement and make it all that it should be. And we know that as people, we need one another. We need the church. We need groups. But most of all, we need God. We need to have a connection with God. And if we can connect in all those other ways on this human level, but if we don't have connection with God, we'll never be satisfied and we're missing out. And that's why we're doing this series, because we believe that we serve an awesome God, we have an awesome God, and if we connect with him regularly, his awesomeness saturates our daily lives. So we're in a series called Make It Awesome, where we're exploring some ways for us to connect with God on, with some spiritual habits, some regular practices, so that we meet with God and allow his awesomeness to bleed into our lives and to work through us. And today, we're going to talk about prayer and fasting two of the most essential ways that we connect with God. Now, I think at some point, most of us have asked somewhere along the line, does prayer work? We've prayed and we're not sure about the answers we get, so we're saying, hey, does this thing work? Am I doing this the right way? How is this prayer supposed to happen? What am I supposed to do here? Does this work? And that's why I love Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter six. Because Jesus says, let me tell you a way to pray that will always work. Let me teach you about prayer. So today I want to invite you to join with me and let's lean into and listen into Jesus teaching us about prayer. Matthew chapter six. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. I love how he starts here. When you pray. He just assumes we're gonna do it. If we're gonna connect to God, if we're gonna follow God, then we are going to pray. So when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see him. I tell you the truth, that's all the reward those people will ever get for their prayers. Now, he comes back to this theme of reward again and again throughout this passage. And he says the reward they get is being seen by others. So, so here we go. I, I doubt too many of you are doing this, standing out on the street corners praying. Uh, standing out there with the bullhorn or yelling, hey, let me pray for you. But his point is that we all have a witness to prayer. We all have an audience for a prayer at some times if we're praying. And so we gotta be careful about what audience we go to for our prayers. Now, for most of you praying up front in the synagogue, that's probably not a big deal. For people in my situation, in my line of work, that's every week praying in front of the church. I gotta really tune into what Jesus is saying here. It says if our prayer is to be in, seen in public in front of other people, if that's why we're doing it, then once we're seen by people, we've already got our reward. That's not the kind of prayer God honors or responds to. So friend, do you 
have an audience for your prayers? Do you ever have an audience? Maybe it's not up on a platform. Maybe it's not on a street corner. Is it with your small group? Is it at a meal time? Is it with your family? Is it with just that one other person? And when you pray, do you pray in a way to impress them? Or are you praying to be connected to God? Jesus goes on. He says, when you pray, again, assuming we're gonna do it, he says, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private. Then your father, who sees everything, will reward you. Go get alone with God. Now, is that really important? Do we have to close the door? Do we have to go to our room, shut the door to pray to God? I mean, isn't God everywhere? Doesn't God hear everything? So can't we pray to him anywhere, everywhere, anytime, all the time? Well, of course we can. You know, I hear people say, we need to put prayer back in schools. I used to be a high school social studies teacher. Prayer has never left the schools. Every time I give a test, every time I offered a pop quiz, I know that students, some of the students who seem to have the least amount of faith any other time, had a whole lot of faith in that moment, putting their head down, their hands together, and they were murmuring something. Prayer happens in schools all the time. We know we pray all the time. People pray at work. Oh, God, keep that nasty boss away from me. Keep that jerk coworker away from me. God, give me a raise. Give me a good day. Help my boss see the good things I've done. You can pray doing 90 miles an hour down the water soon, putting on your makeup. I don't know if that person prays, but that's the person who makes me pray <laughs> when I'm on the water. We can pray anywhere. I think we should pray more often in more places. What Jesus is saying is not that this should be the only place we pray to go into our room by ourselves, but he's saying that should be the most significant time of prayer we have. That if we're not praying there, if we're only praying in the hustle, the bustle of life, then we're missing it. It's kind of like this. If my wife, Jen, and I only talk to each other about the hustle, bustle of life, about schedules and busyness and budgets and stuff with the kids and stuff coming up, and we have those kinds of conversations, and it's always in the swirl of life. We can sit right next to each other, and we can be having a conversation, but not really be connecting. You know, there are things that couples do that are seen by other people out in public, But the most intimate moments and the most intimate conversations that a couple will have is behind closed doors. We need that kind of relationship intimacy with one another. We need that kind of relationship intimacy with God. And and this picture of what we have in marriage that way is to be a mirror for the caliber and the quality of relationship that God wants with us. To get time alone with us, uninterrupted, apart from all the crazy busyness of the world. And Jesus' point is that when you pray, you need to make sure that you have some time alone, some uninterrupted time with God to just focus on you and God. Not the only time, not the only place, but the most significant. And friend, I believe that this one little practice of getting alone with God in prayer, of all the spiritual habits, of all the things you can do in your life, this one practice has the possibility to revolutionize your life more than anything else. This one thing of getting alone with God in prayer will change your life more than anything else. And he says that God will reward us, right? I mean, that's good news. We get the reward for our prayer. Oh yeah, we get what we want. Now we know that's not what Jesus is talking about. The reward, that God rewards that kind of prayer by just giving us what we want. If that were the case, we'd all be driving the shiny car and we'd have houses dotted all over the globe, a bank account that never ends and health that creates no worry for us. But that's not the kind of reward Jesus is talking about. No, his reward is much greater. His reward is peace. Peace now 
that will transition into eternity. Now, now it's interesting. They have done studies with people who are highly stressed and people who are wrestling with depression and anxiety. They'll put them through a machine, do a brain scan on the person, and then follow up with that person. And, And people who pray for 12 minutes a day for eight weeks, brain scan at the beginning, brain scan at the end, and the research shows that prayer changes us. All the red of the chaos going on in the mind at the beginning becomes greed, becomes transitioned at the end, that there's peace, there's calm, there's a centeredness, a transformation. 12 minutes a day, alone with God, for eight weeks, can change you physically, can change what's going on in your mind. The research shows that prayer actually works. Let's go back to what Jesus said. He says, when you pray again, assumes we're going to do it. He says, don't babble on and on and on as the Gentiles do. Now, that's a good word for dudes like me who have a lot of words. Don't just babble on. Those people think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. So don't be like them. For your father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask him. Don't be like those people, Jesus says. Don't think that somehow you can bend God's will towards your own. That you can throw so many words at God that you're just going to annoy him to the point that he caves in. Don't think that if you use the most eloquent words that God will somehow be impressed with you. Listen, if you think eloquent words, eloquent speech will impress God, then you don't understand who you're speaking with. Jesus says God is not moved by the quality or the quantity of our words. So don't get caught up into thinking that that's how prayer works. Now, friend, you... You don't need to pray loud or long to be heard by God. God already knows what you need, even before you ask him. Which begs the question, if God already knows what I need, then what am I supposed to talk about when I go to my room and I close that door, when I get alone with God? If prayer is not a matter of informing God of what I need or impressing God or convincing God into my way, then what am I supposed to do when I meet with God? Well, Jesus goes on and he tells us. He says, when you pray, pray like this. Now, he begins this way. That doesn't mean pray exactly these words in this way at this time. He says, here's here's an outline. Here's a prompt to get you started. Here are the essential elements to get you moving in this direction. But keep in mind that in his culture, the way he lined this out, sequence matters. So getting things in the right order does matter. And he said, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. The holiness of heaven. To remind ourselves who we're talking with. The bigness, the greatness, the awesomeness of God. That the God of heaven invites us to interrupt all the activity of heaven. In all of his awesomeness, he invites us to speak up. And why? Well, because he's our dad. And as dad, he has the power. He has the authority. He is the one in charge. But as dad, he cares about us. He loves us. He's going to protect us and provide for us. And we get to talk with him. Jesus goes on. says, may your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom and your will. 
Before we get to talking about our kingdom and our will, before we start our complaint session about, hey, God, you know, there's a lot of people that don't realize that I'm the king of my kingdom, that, that you're the queen of your kingdom. There's a lot of people, God, who don't, that they're not doing my will, that they're not doing what I want. My, my coworkers, my spouse, my kids, my, my family, the politician, they, they're not doing my will, God. Before we get to that complaint session, we start with his kingdom, his will, acknowledging that his kingdom is greater and his kingdom matters more. We say to God in this that, God, regardless of what happens to my kingdom, Regardless of what happens with my will, your kingdom and your will are greater. Yours is more important than mine. So I'm going to lean into yours. So God, I'm not here to get you to bend in my direction and do what I want. I'm here to lean into what you want and lean in your direction. See, the purpose of prayer is never to impose my will. It's to surrender it. The purpose of prayer is to surrender our will to God not to impose our will upon him. And so we come to God and we say, your will be done. Your will, your will with my family, with my spouse, with my kids, with my parents, with my siblings, your will with my job, my health, my school, my future, my money, your will. And I trust you, your will is greater than mine and better for me than what I would do on my own, God. Your will, even when, even when there's pain and there's struggle in this world, even when the future is uncertain, even when it seems that everything is upended, your will, your kingdom first, above mine, before mine, more important than mine. And the reward for that kind of prayer, again, is peace. When we surrender our will and we look to God and his will, then his kingdom peace invades our lives. It rules us. See, until we get to that point in prayer, I don't know that there's a whole lot of point in moving on in our prayers. And God's will will be accomplished. His kingdom will come. And he's invited us to have a part in that, to, to have a place in his kingdom. And friend, I think that is pretty awesome. And then Jesus goes on. Give us today the food we need. Oh, now we're to the good stuff, right? Now we're to the part of prayer that everybody likes. Give us. Give me, give me, give me, give me. Woo. All right. Now we're, now we're talking. Jesus, this is the good stuff. Thanks for including that in the prayer. Give me what I want. Give me what I need. The problem is that this and the way Jesus said it was not the permission to just ask blindly like, hey, here's what I want. Hey, God, give me that good car and have that girl coming back. Give me the good grade on the test. Give that jerk over there a bad day. Give us, you know, no, 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 no. <laughs> This is not a request as much as it is a recognition, a reminder that for me to get what I need, I have to depend on God. This isn't God, hey, give me all these things I want. This is God, I need you to provide because you're God and I'm not. Now we all know this is where a lot of people start. A lot of us start by just asking, hey God, you're good. Now let me tell you what I want you to do for me. God, let me tell you your job today in my world. Here we go. But that's not the way we should approach God. And if we're honest, a lot of us, we pray in desperation. We either pray because we're desperate for this thing that we want, and we want it so bad we've convinced ourselves that we need it, and we feel desperate for that thing, or we're just in a desperate situation, a crisis, and we're saying, God, help me get out of this. A lot of us, I mean, we pray those crisis prayers when the test 
comes from the teacher. We, we pray the crisis prayer when the red and blue lights are flashing in the rearview mirror, when we're sitting at the doctor, when the bank account is running dry, when there's an emergency, when we're uncertain of what's going to happen next, when we're afraid our sin might be found out and discovered. And those prayers are good. They're acceptable. They're okay. They're just not enough. Those kind of prayers are good. People, numerous people, have begun their spiritual life with a prayer of desperation. The problem is that desperation prayers aren't enough to sustain our spiritual life. It it can start the journey, but it's not going to keep us going on the journey. You you can pray the gimme, 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 help me, help me, help me kind of prayers all day long, every day for the rest of your life and never really connect with God. That those prayers just aren't enough. See, it gets to this. I, I think it's the, the problem for most of us is that we're just desperate for the wrong things. That those kinds of prayers are desperation prayers, but they reveal that we're desperate for the wrong things when we need to be desperate for God. Desperate for more of God in our lives. I, I think this is why Jesus, immediately after this teaching on prayer, taught about fasting. He immediately transitions from prayer into fasting. And he says this, just a few verses later. He says, when you fast, again, he just assumes we're going to do it. He doesn't say if, doesn't say maybe. He says when, just assuming that we will fast. He says, when you do that, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. But I tell you the truth, that's the only reward they will ever get. Again, it comes back to this topic of reward. If you fast, if you do spiritual things to be seen by people... And then that's your reward is to be seen by people. No, look at him. Look at her. Oh, they're, they're so spiritual. They gave up food for a day. They, they gave up this thing. Oh, look at how they pray in front of other people. Oh, so spiritual. If that's what you're going for, that's all you're going to get. And Jesus warns us here. And, and then he moves on and says, no, when you fast, assuming that we will. And, and let me just be honest with you guys. Some transparency from your pastor. Of all the spiritual habits, this is one of the hardest ones for me. I'm an Enneagram type seven, which on that personality profile simply means that one of my strongest tendencies is gluttony. So that just means I want more of anything that I think is good. If we're hanging out and I'm enjoying the time we're hanging out, I want to hang out for longer. If... I'm on vacation, I like the vacation, I want the vacation to last longer. If I'm eating food and I like it, I want more of it. If I have soda and I think it's good soda, I want more of it. If it's anything that I think is good, I want more of it. And so fasting just collides straight on with that. I mean, this, this spiritual habit is at odds with my natural wiring. And that's all the more reason I need this. All the more reason I need to make this not just a once in a while kind of thing, but a regular habit in my life. I need it. And so do you. So when we fast, comb your hair, if you got it. Wash your face, I can do that. And then no one will notice that you're fasting, except your father, who knows what you do in private. And your dad up in heaven, who sees everything, he has got a reward for you. I mean, I love this. When, when we fast, it reminds us that we are not God, but that we need God to provide for us. When, when we fast, it, it brings to light all the things that would compete for God 
for the appetite of our life, all the things that we keep with God for the primary place in our life, all those other appetites that we have, whether it be technology or food or sex or whatever it might be, all those things that we compete with God. And so when we fast, we realize that as much as we hunger for those things, we need to hunger even more for God. We need to have a greater hunger for his kingdom, his will, for God himself to connect with him. And so during the fast, whenever we're hungry for whatever it is we're abstaining from, whatever it is we're fasting from, when that hunger comes up, and we say, man, I, I'm, I'm really jonesing for, for a cookie because I like cookies. Then instead of going to the pantry, we do what we talked about a couple weeks ago. If you weren't here when we talked about meditating and studying and memorizing God's word, I encourage you to go back and listen to that message. See, when we fast and we find ourselves hungry for that thing from this world, all these things from the world that compete with, we move from those things and we, we get alone with God and we chew on his word instead. We meet with God in his word and we meet with God in prayer and we get time there alone with God, taking a break from all these other things that we'd be hungry for and instead feasting on God and creating more of a hunger for him. Now, this also means, right, this just kind of assumes that if we fast, that we're actually sacrificing, we're giving up something that we would otherwise like. So if you don't like veggies, and you're like, well, I'm gonna fast from broccoli, you're kind of missing the point, right? This means that if you say, well, I'm gonna give up those cheesy Hallmark movies, that's not really a fast. That's just a wise decision, okay? That's all, all the husbands are happy, and the wives are saying, he's not my pastor, not today. Mm-mm. Moving on. Before I get myself into more trouble. Jesus goes on and says, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Getting to our most important need, our greatest need. Forgive us. For us to come to a holy God who is perfect and holy and awesome as sinful people. This just is a reminder of who we are and who he is. So there's no pretense, there's no pretending that I'm nobler and better and more righteous than I actually am. When I come to God, I come without any facade. God, you know, you see in secret, you know what I am, you know who I am, you know my sinfulness and I know it too. So I'm just gonna come and be real with you, God. There's no point in pretending. And this is the beautiful thing because God sees what no one else sees. He sees all the muck and the junk in our lives that no one else does, the stuff that we hide. And yet he chooses to love us like no one else does. So when we come and we say, God, forgive me. Here's the beautiful thing. If we acknowledge that we need forgiveness and it can't come from us, if we've got sin and the the fix for the sin is too big for us, that we can't fix it by being good. We can't out-good our sinfulness. That we can't out-holy our sinfulness. We, we can't do that on our own. It's got to come from somewhere other than us. And if we acknowledge that that comes only from the blood of Jesus on the cross and the power of Jesus raised from the grave, that we need one to forgive us, and his name is Jesus. And we put our hope in him, our trust in him. And we acknowledge that he is our leader, and he is our savior alone. If we come and we acknowledge that, the forgiveness is already there. We have it. I praise God for that. Yeah, that's for a celebration there, brother. But, but here's the challenge. Because Jesus doesn't just say forgive us. He says forgive us. Go ahead and put that scripture up again. As we have forgiven those who sin against us. 
the forgiven must be the forgiver. This is going to keep some of y'all on your knees a little bit longer in prayer, isn't it? <laughs> it does me. God, forgive me as I forgive. Oh, oh, that just got real. So it's God, give me the strength to forgive. Give me the compassion to forgive. Give me the courage to forgive that person that I'm having a hard time forgiving. God, let me forgive that person as you have forgiven me. God, let me have the confidence in who you are to forgive me that I can lighten that load and just forgive that person and move forward. And then, and then Jesus comes here. And lead us not into temptation because we don't need any help. We find it just fine on our own. (laughs) But rescue us from the evil one. This means when we come to God, we come with sincerity. Saying, I sincerely want your kingdom and your will more than my own. And God, there are things that tempt me to wander from that desire. There are things that tempt me to pursue other kingdoms and other things. Guide me, guard me, protect me. This also means that if your prayer strategy is just to come to God and say, hey God, you forgive me? Good, all right, I'm gonna go do that thing again. And then I'll come back, I'll get some more forgiveness. Like if your deal with prayer is you come and you empty your sin bucket so you can go out and scoop it up and fill it up again, then you're missing the point of prayer. That's called cheap grace. God does not honor that kind of prayer. When we pray to God, if we come to God praying so that, so that we can sin, we're missing the point. We, we don't come to God praying so we can sin. We, we come to him saying, I'm, I'm done with my sin. I'm fed up with my sin. I don't want it. And, and if our plans are different than that, if our heart is different than that, then we come to him and say, God, change my heart. And change my plans so that I won't stray from you. Now, I love how Andy Stanley summarizes this whole passage. It says pretty much what Jesus outlines for us is that we declare God's greatness. And we surrender our will to him. And we acknowledge our dependence upon him. DSA, we declare greatness, we surrender our will, and we acknowledge our dependence. DSA also stands for don't just start by asking. Don't start asking, hey, God, you're good. Here's what you got to do for me. Because if we spend more time on his greatness and on our surrender, then we'll actually need to spend less time down here on our dependence. The more time we spend on his greatness and on our surrender, the more confidence we have to approach him for pardon and protection and provision. And, And if you've ever wondered, does prayer work? Let me tell you. This model of prayer that Jesus gave us, it works every time. Now, now that doesn't mean it works because God's gonna just bend to your will and do whatever you want. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't necessarily work by moving God. It works every time because it moves us closer to God. It moves our hearts more aligned and more in sync with his. So church, here's what I want to challenge you to do this week, my invitation for you. I'm going to invite you to take one day this week on Wednesday and fast all day with me and everyone else. A one-day Wednesday fast this week, the time you would normally spend eating breakfast, lunch, dinner, the snacks in between and after, feast on God's word, get alone with God and meet with him in prayer. And your model for prayer, we'll we'll, we'll put some prompts up, we'll put some helps on the website and we'll send it out in an email. We'll put it out on social media to help you navigate how to do that in a healthy way and 
some things you could be praying for. But essentially, I just want to invite you to pray that prayer that Jesus gave us morning, noon, and night on Wednesday. And when you're hungry for food, to turn your hunger to God. And and yeah, I know full well, I began this message by joking about burgers and fries and peanut butter and chocolate. And now I'm saying, hey, hey, take a day and don't eat any of it. But if we collectively as the church will come together to fast and pray, and then begin to make that a regular part, a regular habit in our lives. And I just believe that God is gonna do incredible things because that's the kind of prayer, that's the kind of attitude, that's the kind of spirit he honors. And I wanna invite you right now, those of you in the room, I'm inviting you to go ahead and stand up. Go ahead and stand up. If you're joining us online and you're able, go ahead and stand where you are. If you're wherever you are, unless you're driving, stay seated. If you're, and if you're driving, you shouldn't be watching this anyway. But wherever you are, Stand up and together, out loud, let's pray this prayer together, the prayer modeled by Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And let us not yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. In Jesus' name, amen.